Welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. I'm your host, Bo Kennedy. Join us as we go face-to-face with what goes bump in the night. Hey there, believers. I got a great show for you today. This one comes from Megan. We talk about full body apparitions, UFOs, rando nodding, um, and her journey with a couple of spirit guides that that were, it's it's just wild. It's a great show. I really enjoy talking to her about this, and I, I hope you have a good time listening to it. So without any further delay, here we go. Okay. Um, so my name is Megan. Um, I live in Akron, Ohio right now. Uh, so Northeast Ohio, it's like about an hour South of Cleveland. Um, and I've just kind of had a weird life. (laughs) I have a, like, I just have a lot of weird little stories that, um, have happened over my lifetime and thankfully nothing like crazy or evil or anything like that. (laughs) But, um, my grandfather actually is from West Virginia. So he's from Spencer, West Virginia. So I used to go there every year for like a family reunion. West Virginia creeps me out a little bit. Yeah, it's a little creepy. <laughs> it can be a little bit creepy. I like I'm from the country. I'm from I grew up in a fairly rural area. Um I went to school with Amish kids until like fourth grade. So but it's still Northeast Ohio is a pretty populated place. And, uh, I remember going to West Virginia for the first time and I'm sure we were driving down 77 or, and, um, we got into the mountains and I saw, I saw nothing for like two minutes. And then I saw one stack of smoke coming out of the mountain and then nothing else for another like two minutes. Yep. And I'm like, what are they doing? (laughs) I'm like, are they living on squirrels? What is going on? I just thought it was so crazy. Um, And I have a little, I have a little weird West Virginia story. Let's hear it. That happened. Okay. All right. So uh, I think it was two years ago. It was last year. I went to Berkeley Springs, West Virginia for my birthday. Um, because I used to live in California and I really love hot springs and there's no hot springs around here at all. Um, so the closest thing I found was Berkeley Springs, which is just a mineral spring. Actually. Have you ever been there? I haven't been there yet, but it's on my list. I'm I'm trying to hit all the, all the big spots here. It's pretty, it's kind of farther West. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, East. 
Um, but it's it's on the Potomac River, and it's right near um, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Maryland, where it all converges there. So, um, well, I I rented this cabin on Airbnb for my birthday, and it was a super cool cabin. It was 100 years old, um, but it had AC. It was, like, super solid. It was lovely. And two weeks before we were going to go there, the lady sent me an email, and she's like, well, you really need a 4x4 because there was a terrible storm. And it basically washed out the whole the whole drive up to the cabin because it's like one of these you know mountain lanes. I I have a Volkswagen little sedan and I I don't have a four by four. I was like, well, we're going anyway. So the ad said it was the only house on the lane and it was really secluded. So we get there. There's no way my car's getting up. It's like red clay. It's not happening. So we park at the bottom and we're dragging all of our luggage it's just like about a quarter mile but it's july it was really hot and there's no other houses on this lane but there are like broken down falling over like shacks (laughs) and they're infested with bugs and it's just creepy it's definitely super creepy going up to this cabin so actually the closest thing nearby was the brewery in town and i really wanted to go there but we would have to trek through the woods at night and then have a couple beers and come back. So we didn't even end up doing it because I'm kind of a scaredy cat. Um, but the weird thing that happened was one day we ended up going to Paw Paw, West Virginia. Have you heard of that? Uh, I'm familiar with a uh, – it's probably a different place called – but it, I know a, a Paw Paw, but it's, uh, it's down further south. It's down close to me. Okay. So this – I want to say maybe it's like 30 minutes from, from Berkeley Springs – and they have a pawpaw festival there. There's a lot of pawpaw trees. Uh-huh. So um, we went down there, and there was signs for, like, historical things and different sites. And I like to just, like, drive around when I'm traveling and look at local old weird stuff. So there was um, a, a tunnel. I think it's a CNO canal, and it's called the Pawpaw Tunnel. And it's on this canal way or, like, a towpath trailway. So you can walk or ride a bike or whatever. So we decided to go over there and we're going on this walk and we wanted to go through this tunnel and we get to this tunnel and it's super creepy. It's really, really old. It's made of, it has like a stone facade on it. That's just like really dark from weather and where the canal is like orange brown water. It's practically dry. And this tunnel, there's like a walkway that's just, that's just shoveled into the dirt that you can walk on. There's no lights at all. It's damp. It's dark. I was freaking out before we even went in there. I just had like an overwhelming feeling and I'm just a really sensitive person and I just like feel a lot of stuff. Yep. And um, you'll kind of notice that in some of my stories, but um, I just got a, and this has never happened to me before this and it's never happened since, but I actually had a panic attack. We started walking into the tunnel and I don't know if I'm sure they blew it up with, with TNT or something to create the tunnel, but I just felt like people had died either in the tunnel or making the tunnel, or I just had this overwhelming, sad, horrible feeling. Um, so my friend really wanted to go to the other side and there were like kids, there was like a kid and his grandma just like riding through there on their bike. But, um, I don't know why it just totally freaked me out. Um, so we enjoyed the rest of that trip. Uh, actually, in Berkeley <laughs> Springs, they have um, 
George Washington's bathtub. Apparently, right. he was on he was on a land survey when he was like 16, and he took a bath in these springs. And yep. the native people used to use it as like um, medicinal, like a healing water. It's really incredible if you ever get to go there. Yeah, they have like lot- Roman baths that you can rent. Yeah, there's a lot of history there. Oh yeah, West Virginia is very old. Yes. Um, and the farther east you get, the older everything is. Um, okay, so that was that was just kind of a little side story. So I kind of wrote some things down in a in a chronological order that have happened, kind of. So I don't know. I thought I would just start from the beginning. Hey, yeah, sounds um, good. I'll just uh, so, I'll mute my end of the phone because I I got people running around in the house already this morning. So I'll probably, okay. I'll I'll keep my house or my phone on mute for the most part and just let you go. Okay. Okay, sounds good. All right. Okay, so um my my very first memory actually is um from when I was 3 or earlier. Um I'd say between 2 and 3, I started having a reoccurring nightmare. And I had this until I was 8 years old. Um but it was the strangest thing ever and I could not figure out um, you know, I was a little tiny kid, so I, it was the the dream itself was these three scenes. And the first scene, I would see myself kind of floating above myself. I had a queen size bed, and I had my own bedroom since I was three. And um, I would see myself floating above my body, and these clowns. There were two clowns that would crawl out from under my bed and start jump roping on either side of my bed, and that would immediately like horrify me. I'd never been to a circus. I mean, I don't, maybe I'd seen a clown on TV or something, but I don't remember having any interactions with any clowns before this in my life. Then it would cut to a scene of a factory and it was like a factory, you know, shop floor, like a black slick floor with yellow lines for like a, like a forklift. And there were, giant stacks of tires all around me huge stacks of tires like everywhere totally overwhelming and that would increase my anxiety and panic and then it would go to the third scene which was in front of this white house that was a ranch and there were tires set up in the yard offset kind of like you would run a relay in for like pt basically so and i saw all these men, and I only saw them from the waist down, but they had, like, military PT shorts on, short, navy blue shorts. They had, um, like, white socks, and they were kind of, like, crew socks, and then white sneakers, and they're running through these tires. And it was the strangest thing ever. Um, I would get, I, I would wake up, and I would not want to go back to sleep. I would be totally horrified. So now I kind of identify that with like kind of somewhat of a past life experience in some way. I don't know how I would have ever had those images otherwise. Um, And it's interesting now that I live in Akron, Ohio, which is where tires and rubber were founded. It's the rubber city. So this is where the Goodyear blimp is. Um, I moved to Akron the first time in 2008, I think. Um, and I used to drive past the Goodyear tire factory every night when they were still making a lot of tires in Akron. 
And um, I would roll my windows down every night because I love the smell of the tires <laughs> and the rubber factory. So I don't know. It's really strange of all the places that I could live. I've ended up living in Akron and it feels very familiar to me. Um, so I actually did see the house from the dream. Uh, my father has been married a couple times, um, more than a couple. And his third wife, her parents, we were, they were married for quite some time, but we went over there and they had like a decorative plate that had this white house and it was called the little white house. And it looked almost like the white house, but just a small ranch home. Um, And so that kind of tripped me out. So that was just kind of a weird synchronicity thing that I haven't totally figured out. Those dreams stopped when I was like eight years old, but um, yeah, that was kind of my first weird experience. But that could be like, like you said, past life or maybe premonitions, you know, maybe it's a little glimpse into what your future was going to hold. Yeah, that's very possible. Although I've never, I, I, so my mom worked in a factory. She worked kind of in the office, but we would go in with her on Saturdays. And that was the first time that I really identified what it was that I was seeing because we walked into the shop and I saw the black floors with the yellow lines. And I was like, oh, okay, this is what this is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It, um, I live in, it's the air, the neighborhood I live in is called Firestone park and there's Goodyear Heights in, in Akron. So most of the neighborhoods are built around the tire factories. Yeah. There's obviously no tire jobs really anymore, except for engineers and stuff. Um, the, all the manufacturing is gone, but, um, it, it is interesting that now I live in a tire named neighborhood. <laughs> Very yeah. strange. That's cool. It It is cool. Um, so my next kind of little event that happened was also a dream. Um, I was in middle school. I think I, I was in either seven or, seventh or eighth grade. And I was super excited to go to the dance. I think, I don't know, it's a fall dance. So school had just started not that long ago. And, um, and junior high are like really trying to fit in and figure out how to act and fit in with everybody. So I had a dream about the dance and the way my school was set up, you would walk down this ramp and walk into the gym. Um, and that's where the dance was going to be at. So it's like kind of dark and I'm walking down and, um, I see like the fun lights and the DJs there and I see, meet up with my friends and I'm dancing with my friends and I realize there's like something in the corner of the room and I look over there and it's my mom in a hospital bed in, in the corner of the gym at the dance. So, um, I, I kind of woke up after that. I, I think I walked over there and she's like, just go have fun. And, um, I woke up after, after that. I, I didn't say anything to my mom. I never said anything to my mom about my reoccurring nightmare. Um, she's not, she's not very sensitive, but also not, not very interested in any, anything that she can't explain. So, um, I actually just told her this like a couple months ago and she was like, I don't think that happened. I'm like, okay, well, I'm telling you it did. So um, two weeks later when right, it was the week of the dance, my mom ends up going in the hospital and uh, she had a blood clot in her leg and she had been complaining about leg pain and stuff. And um, she ended up being in the hospital for two weeks. So the night that I went to the dance, my mom was in the hospital. 
Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that was just kind of, and it was like everything was okay. And that's how it felt in the dream. It didn't feel like she was dying or anything. It felt like she was going to be okay. And I, I didn't feel guilty about being at the dance um, because it, it wasn't like a life or death thing. It was like she's got to have some treatment and then she'll be okay. Right. Um, so that was that was my second kind of little thing that happened to me. So I was about 12 or 13 at that time. Um, and then I had my first ghost experiences. Um, so I ended up moving in with my dad, um, and he lived in a town called Alliance, uh, which is about an hour away from where I grew up. And it's, it's, a, it's an inner city. It's dense, but it's a very, very small town. Um, it's pretty old. It's, uh, it's called Alliance because there's a lot of, there was a couple different railroad lines that would come through and intersect there. Um, so it's kind of, I, I live in the Rust Belt, so a lot of these towns are the same. It, there's like, it's a place where there used to be industry, <laughs> and now people still kind of live there. But um, I, the, the first apparitions ghost I ever encountered, ever, um, I made this friend, Nicole, and she was from that area, and she knew it really well, and she told me about this, um, the oldest cemetery in town, and it was outside of town a little bit, and it was a Quaker cemetery, um, because a lot of Northeast Ohio, Akron first was, uh, Quaker Oats was here before the rubber industry came in, um, so there's a lot of Quaker settlements that happened uh, really early on in Western expansion, so um, we go out to this cemetery and it's like kind of dusk and it's not totally dark yet and we park our car and it's right by this bridge so we go and sit on the stairs that go go down to the water I think you can go down there and fish or whatever so we're kind of like concealed from people driving by and first we hear something that literally sounds like someone dropping a body in the water or like an alligator going into the water it was just a really weird sound and there was no one out on the water. There was no canoes or any boats or anything. So we were already kind of like on high alert. So um, we wait just for like 10 minutes. It gets really dark and we walk up into the cemetery and we're looking around and I am having this like overwhelming kind of emotional feeling in my chest. Like we're not supposed to be here. Like we're not Quakers and we're not supposed to be here. Um, and there were these two really, really big headstones um, with little ones around it. And we were looking at those and they were like the mother and father and their children. And I'm backing away and every single hair like stands up on my arms, my, my neck. And I see they were just like glittery, but it was like this husband and wife, these Quaker people just kind of missed in front of their headstones. And they had no expression or anything. Um, they weren't doing anything or, like, being menacing. But we ran back to the car. Um, and that was that was the first time I ever saw someone that wasn't a physical person. Uh, did, did your friend see him, too? Yes. Wow. Yeah, okay. she did. And they were so, like, um, period clothing and stuff? Yeah, she had, uh, like, a long dress. And it was mostly black with some white on the top around the neck. And he had on, like, kind of, 
I don't, what would you call them, like knicker kind of pants that kind of go to the middle of the shin with high socks and a hat and a jacket. So they were dressed like a Quaker. Yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of cool. And it wasn't – that is. Go cool. ahead, sir. <laughs> that, that is. Yeah. Something. I'd love to see something that you know, benign. You know, I'd, I'd love to see right. something that doesn't, doesn't want to hurt me. Yeah, that'd be great. Right. Well, thankfully, that's most of the experiences that I've had. Um. So at that same time, when I was living in that town, we lived in a really old house. I think our house was built in 1914. And um, my dad was married at the time when we moved in there, and then they ended up getting a divorce. So um, my father worked second shift about an hour away. So we would go to school and then he would go to work. He would come home after we had gone to bed. So we would normally see him like maybe on Sundays. (laughs) So it was me and my little brother who's three years younger than me. Um, I went to school part-time and I had a full-time job and I would come home and take care of the house. So um, I was home a lot and home alone a lot. My brother's on the football team and had after-school activities and stuff. So uh, I started – my father had started working on the house, and for some reason he wanted to move the bathroom from one side of the hall to the other, to a different room. So he starts demoing out. It had, like, built-in cabinets all around the shower and stuff. So we start pulling those out. We found a bunch of um, report cards that were, like, straight Fs from, like, the 60s. It was really funny. Um, someone had obviously been hiding from their parents. And then we pull out the whole tub surround, and in the wall, it was the old slat and plaster walls. Um, you know, our windows were original. They were on, like, a pulley system. So um, we found a postcard for a Masonic meeting from 1914. Um, so that was really cool. So I think it one time this was kind of a victorian kind of four by four two-story house so you'd walk in and there was a large foyer a living room dining room kitchen and all the all the rooms were large and kind of the same so i think at one time it was a very very nice new home and a and someone that probably was well to do lived there yeah um it was definitely not when we moved in Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm I'm sorry. I, I, that's what it sounds like. You know, with the, uh, the Masonic Lodge information. Right. Yeah. That's, that's and especially in the turn of the century, too. It, yeah. it was a lot of, you know, industrial kind of executives and higher-up people like that. So the, the neighborhood before that um, was actually uh, part of the Underground Railroad, and there's a historical home there that was just a few blocks from our house called the Haynes House. And um, it's really cool if anybody's in Northeast Ohio. Um, it's uh, So it's a very mixed community. So it's very much black and white. Um, we're all poor. It was kind of a rundown old old neighborhood. So there were shady characters around sometimes. And I was home alone a lot. And I started hearing footsteps. Just I would be downstairs and I'd hear somebody walking around upstairs. I'd hear somebody coming down the stairs. I'd be upstairs and hear somebody downstairs. And it maybe should have freaked me out. It freaked me out the first couple times, but I didn't feel anything super negative. So I I, I have learned to trust myself over the, over the years because things 
kind of turn out not to be so bad when they're really, really scary. So um, one day I talked to my brother about it too. And he's the same. Like even if, if he can't explain it or hasn't seen it, he's easily scared and he doesn't want to talk about it. So uh, I was walking up the stairs one day and it's kind of like, there's a short set of stairs, a landing, you turn and then you go all the way up. So I'm at the landing, I turn and I see this old man walk across the hall in front of a staircase. And it was like, he didn't even notice me at all. And he was really actually looked very sweet. So it was, it was an older man. He was a black man. He had gray hair and he had on overalls. And um, so I, it actually kind of felt comforting to kind of put a face to things that I was hearing. So I went up and looked in the room. He had walked into the bathroom and I looked in there. He wasn't in there. The attic door was in there. I looked up the attic. I, I listened to see if he was still walking around and I didn't hear anything. So a little while after that, I was coming down the stairs, and I had seen now a couple times I would see the rocking chair rock by itself. So I came down the stairs one day, and the rocking chair was right by the front door. The stairs go into the foyer, and he's sitting there in the rocking chair just rocking on by. And he wasn't solid or anything. I could definitely kind of like see through him, but his features were very distinct. And this went on the whole time that we lived there. So I, that was the only two times I saw him, but um, I almost think that that was like a residual haunting. It's like, he didn't even notice us at all. It seemed like he was just going still through the motions of his life. So um, that was kind of interesting because it kind of felt like there was a patriarchal figure there. And I kind of felt a little safer because my dad wasn't there a lot. So, um, when I was going to bed or something, I just kind of felt a little comforted, <laughs> strangely, by the ghost in my house. <laughs> you know, that, that don't sound bad. It, mm-hmm. it, it would be comforting, I, I think, especially, you know, at that age that you're going through everything and you're a little nervous of being home alone. I get that. That's not that don't sound weird or nothing like that. That's all right. No, and and he wasn't malicious or anything. It was kind right. of like we're just coexisting. <laughs> like he was kind of like my roommate. Yeah. My my mother has a rocking chair story like very similar. Um Oh. We grew up in a very old old stone house and she would come downstairs and sometimes the rocking chair would be in full swing and she would just say Hi, Tech. Uh, you want some coffee this morning? Because there was an old lady that used to own the home originally that passed away there, and uh, she had a really cool name. It was Tech. Oh. And she would she would give her the morning and talk to her. <laughs> but, I love. Okay, so I have another story like that too that's coming up. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little more interactive. Oh, right. but I have some good. I do love a good West Virginia name. Yeah. My grandparents. I love doing this. Okay, so my grand, my great grandparents were Holly and Flossie. Yeah. <laughs> and I love making people guess who's who. But my grand, my great grandpa was Holly, and my great grandma was Flossie. Yeah. So yep. I love I love those southern names. Yeah, they're they're, they're great. That's all I got. I got stuck with <laughs> Bo, which isn't that bad, I guess. If I look back at no. all the other stuff I had. <laughs> well, my grandpa grew up in the Great Depression era, so he always went by his nickname which I think is really common. I mean, yeah. for men of that era, you don't really even go, but his first name was Don, but he went by Jack. 
Yep. So everyone knew him as Jack. And and later in life, he he called himself Cadillac Jack, and he bought only Cadillacs, and he wore uh he wore pen, uh, cowboy hats and bolos. So he was a pretty jazzy guy. Yeah, I like him already. <laughs> oh, I he's awesome. He's awesome. Um, so uh, all right. So my next event kind of thing. Um, I was. Right around the time I was graduating, I was just going through a crazy, tumultuous time, like, with my family. Um, My parents divorced when I was three, and they never got along, and then I ended up moving with my dad and created a lot of tension, and it was just a lot of drama in my younger days. Um, And things were kind of coming to a head a little bit. My father, after his third wife, he started dating this woman who didn't like me at all, and um, she had kind of infiltrated my family and like pitted other people against me it was just ridiculous so I was going through just a crazy crazy time and I was working at a nursing home um oh I have another story that I didn't even write down here but it's a quick one um so I was working at the nursing home and um I met this girl who is still one of my best friends and she her boyfriend's parents were pastors and I was raised southern baptist so church was always just kind of scary for me because that's where people go and scream about the devil. So, um, I, I wasn't a really religious person. Um, but anytime that religion has kind of come into my life, it's almost like, especially Jesus, he's kind of like knocked down my door a couple of times. So I'm, I'm aligned with this person. I end up kind of moving in with them. So I live with her, her boyfriend and his parents who are pastors. And they invite me to their church on Sunday, and it's they're like, you know, it's really chill. It's, it's like in this guy's backyard, and it was it was really awesome. Uh, for the instead of a sermon, he would like read a passage and pass around paper, and everyone would write how they interpreted it or how they could apply the passage to their life, and it would be like a discussion. So we did that, and then we came to the worship part of the service. So. Everyone kind of like takes their shoes off and there's like a band, maybe like four pieces or whatever. And they're so good. So everyone's like vibing and we're having a great time. So this woman comes over to me and I I kind of become overcome with emotion because all these things that are going on are kind of like weighing on me. So this woman comes over to me, never met her in my life, never met her since then. And she puts her arms around me and she starts whispering in my ear literally everything that's going on with me like very specific things about my grandpa, things about my grandma, things about my dad. Um, and she was telling me like, Jesus sees all of this and you're going to be okay. And these, these things tend to happen like when I kind of need it the most. So it totally blew my mind and it was totally, but it was exactly what I needed at the time. Um, so it encouraged me to kind of pull myself up by my bootstraps and kind of make things happen for myself and, um, that was just a strange little thing that happened. Um, you gave me so <laughs> <laughs> it it was it was very intense. Um, and my friends were like, "What what was going on over there?" And I was like, "I can't even I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you. I I can't." <laughs> it was uh I was kind of dumbfounded about it for a while. Yeah. Um, and then actually, I think a week later, I took my car to the car wash. And I was cleaning stuff out of my car, and I found a really nice 
Bible sitting on top of all this stuff in the dumpster. And it was mostly, it was like a bunch of papers out of somebody's car. Some, so I took it and I still have that Bible. And that's when I started reading the, reading the Bible and stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I've, I've also studied other religions and there's other things that have come, come into my life since then. Um, and I'm, I'm very open to everything. So I think that, um, that, that happened at a very specific time for a really specific reason. Um, so my quick little side story about the, the nursing home. So I would take snack pass at night, like eight or nine o'clock around bedtime. And I was taking this little cart around, um, and I see this guy, Jack, who was sitting in his wheelchair in the doorway of his room, and he is just shaken to the bone. He's, like, wide-eyed. He's, like, trembling. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, there's an Indian in my window. And, you know, I, I understand that not all these people are all there, but I understand that the things that they're experiencing are very real to them. So I try to comfort him, and I'm like, okay, let's go back in your room, and, like, let's, I'll check it out, and let's relax. So I take him in there, and he's like, yeah, this, this Indian just came up to my window. And um, he's like, I called for somebody, and nobody came. So it was wintertime, and there's snow on the ground. And I go over to the window, and I'm not kidding. It was like 20 feet away. There were footsteps in the snow that started out of nowhere and walked right up to his window and didn't go anywhere else. What? Yeah. It was the craziest thing ever. And this is like, I mean, anywhere in the United States is like pretty much an Indian burial ground. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I I can't explain it. I didn't see the Indian, but I totally believe him. Um, It was just like, I didn't know what to do. I kind of just like got him to relax a little bit and told him no one was there. And then I was kind of freaked out myself yeah. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was pretty. That was especially if there wasn't snow, I would have just I would have never known. Right. So how, um, how big were these footprints? Maybe we're talking about a bigfoot sighting here. <laughs> well, Ohio's pretty flat, and this yeah. isn't a super wooded area. It's actually kind of like in an industrial, like a newer kind of business. Uh, what do I want to say? Like a business area. So um, they were normal kind of human size, human size strides, nothing, nothing huge. Right. Um, but yeah, that was, that one freaked me out. Yeah, that's freaky enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then um, I ended up moving out of my parents. I, um, I moved to a city called Canton. Um, it's where like the football hall of fame is. That's pretty much its only claim to fame. And uh, I was 18. I got my first apartment by myself and just a one-bedroom apartment. I was on the second floor. And most of my neighbors were pretty elderly, um, which was kind of nice. It was really safe, and it was an apartment complex, and I lived in the very back. And I was up watching something scary one night. I don't know what it was. I'm not one to watch, like, scary movies or anything, but I watch a lot of, like, real-life stuff. So I love, like, Unsolved Mysteries and all that kind of stuff. So, um I kind of fell asleep on the couch, and I got up, I went into my bed, and I was barely falling back asleep, and I heard my grandmother, my grandmother's from Germany, and she had a very, very thick accent, and I hear my grandma in my ear say, Megan, 
she would like do this sing songy thing and she had a very distinct way of saying my name and I woke up and something just told me to go to the front door and my front door was unlocked and it was cracked open about an inch. So my grandmother had passed away uh, in two, uh, 1997. So this is several years um, after she passed, but I'm sure that I left my door unlocked that night and my grandma was like, get up and lock that door. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if it opened on its own. I don't know what happened, but um, I got up and locked the door. Yeah, no doubt. No. Um, okay. And then um, in 2008, I have a, I had a cousin who was very, very close to me. Um, he was my father's twin son, and he was born about three months after me. So we have a huge family. My dad has nine brothers and sisters. So I have a whole lot of cousins. And when you have that much family, you tend to kind of like click up and have your little groups that you form. And me and Jordan were just like super tight. His older brother was mean. My little brother was mean. So we would go do our own thing and and be away from them at family gatherings and stuff. Um, Jordan ended up passing away uh, in 2008. He was 21. And um, I had a lot of little things that happened after his passing. Um, one time I was driving to my brother's house, and it was dark out. And I pulled up to a red light, and I saw a car pull up beside me. I saw the headlights come up on the pavement, and this car pull up beside me. I look over, and I was like, oh, it's Jordan's car. He had a 91 um, Mustang, a white one. And um, I look over again, and it's gone. Like, it was never there. Um, I had my radio would change stations sometimes and go in the middle of a song. It would go over to a song and start a song that I like. Uh, that happened two different times. Um, so one day I, I'm a hairstylist. So I was working in the salon and my coworker says, Hey, I have an, I have an appointment with a psychic. Do you want to go with me on lunch? So I was like, all right, whatever. That sounds fun. And I go totally objective. And I went and I talked to her and, um, she didn't really say anything profound to me, but right after that, we come back to the shop and I was working on my client. My The girl that worked beside me had a client and I was telling him about going to see the psychic and stuff. Well, my coworker's client says, well, you know, I kind of have a premonition. And I said, what's that mean? And she's like, well, I like see dead people. I'm like, okay. And she says, do you have a guy like a cousin or a brother that you're really close to? I said, yeah. I said, do you want to see a picture of him? She goes, no, he has blonde hair, blue eyes. She goes, he has a scar on his left ring finger. And I was like, okay, like I'm listening. She, she totally nailed him to a T. And she goes, this is the weirdest thing ever, but he's showing me licorice. And I don't know why, but the very last time I ever saw him was at his 21st birthday party. And we had done what we do. And we locked ourselves in the garage to hide from everybody and we were eating a bag of Twizzlers and we were talking and catching up. And um, that was the last conversation that we ever had. So she, he contacted her and showed her a bag of Twizzlers and, yeah. and no one else would ha know any meaning to that at all. Right. That's um, the validation. That, that's the, that, that way there's indisputable proof that he was there to, to visit. Yeah. And, 
of all of our family, I'm probably the one he would be able to get to. No one else is very open. Um, and I actually had, it's kind of skipping forward chronologically a little bit, but um, a couple years later, I was uh, living in California, and um, I had this woman who I had her business card for probably four or five years, and I had never gone to see her. And I was thinking about seeing her, and I I had her card in my nightstand. I picked it up. I put it in, like, my little phone case. I go to work. My last client of the day was the person who told me about this woman. We decide to go to dinner together across the street to this restaurant. We sit down, and two tables away, she goes, that's her. This woman... The psychic woman was sitting in the same restaurant having dinner at the same time. So just just too many weird synchronicities. So I call this woman. I go to see her. She's like 60-some years old. She's no neon sign, nothing. She's in a, a office building that just has her name. Um, and she's legit. And she does tarot card readings. And um, I sit down. She's shuffling her cards, and she's like, I'm sorry. She's like, this guy is like banging my door down. She's like, do you have a young man that's passed over on the other side? I said, yes. And um, she told me that he, his job was to reunite people with their pets um, when they pass over. She told me that his dog was there with him. And she said that to me specifically because his dog passed after he did. Um and she told me that he was with his soulmate, that he was with a girl and he was showing me this girl. And I, I'm assuming it's someone else who passed young um, and they are able to be together. So that was just another crazy message that came out of nowhere. I really wasn't, I was asking her about personal stuff, business and, and kind of life moves that I was thinking about making. So I really wasn't even necessarily going for a message for from family or anything like that. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, whenever uh, whenever we're done with this interview or maybe later on Instagram, if you can remember that lady's name, I would love to oh, have yeah. it. Because I, yeah. I've been to a couple of psychics. Um, I've had an experience down in Louisiana that there is no other way to explain it but this, except for this woman had a gift. Um, but I've, I've had a couple of duds, you know. Okay. But yeah, I would I would love to get a hold of that lady and just maybe have a reading or something because I I can't get enough of that kind of stuff. I love it. I love it. Well, she's I'm sure she's in her seventies now. I, I'm if she's still doing it, I'm sure she'll see you. But I'll send you her info. Yeah. And then I actually I had another reading recently. I'm really really picky now. I've I've had a couple and now I kind of know what to look for and I kind of wait for it to come to me. Yeah. So the re- so maybe because I'm telling you this, maybe you should call her. But I yeah. had a reason. I don't. Do you listen to Astonishing Legends? Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I had a reading with Jim Hunt, who they had on um, a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Who he was a medium. Um, he's a he's Canadian, and he was on a TV show, um, and he was incredible. So I ended up having a phone reading with him. So he's really awesome too. I would recommend either of them. Um, but he actually brought up Jordan to me, my, my cousin, and he said that he was on his way out. So I don't know if he's ready. If, you know, I mean, anybody, we don't know where he's headed or what's going on on the other side. No one knows. Absolutely. I have, I have many beliefs and I absorb a lot of information, but I don't like to claim any absolutes. 
absolutes because I just don't think we know. And there's some things we're not supposed to know. So anyway, he told me that Jordan was kind of on his way out, um, which was interesting because the last couple months I've been driving around and I feel Jordan with me in the car a lot. And all of a sudden my passenger seatbelt light would start blinking and dinging. Like someone was sitting there and they didn't have a seatbelt on. Yeah. So to me, it almost, that's kind of what it felt like. And then that was an information, like a, a confirmation. Because yeah. I don't think that people, you know, like, like the guy in my house in Alliance, I think there are some people who maybe don't realize they're dead or were just very, very habitual in their life. So they just are kind of going through the motions of life. Yeah. I think there are souls that go through maybe different things on the other side. But um, the way that my cousin has communicated with me, it seems like he's having a pretty cognitive experience on the other side. So um, this kind of leads me into moving to California. The first kind of experience I had, um, I, I moved to Silicon Valley, and I lived in the San Jose area for the first few years. Um, I worked at a very popular brewery restaurant in that area. And um, I ended up meeting this guy there. And I'm, um, I'm single. I'm not, I'm not real trusting of people. I haven't had a lot of uh, romantic experiences. I don't, I don't know. It's just like not ever a priority for me. And I don't really date much. So this guy, I, I walk up, it's a table that I have, I'm a waitress, I walk up, and this guy is just, like, glowing gold. And I'm like, okay, well, this is my person, I guess, I don't know. So, uh, he, we kind of strike up a conversation, and he was there with his kids, and he would come in really, um, more and more frequently, and we ended up kind of developing a relationship. So, he moved to Santa Cruz, which is right on the beach. Um, it's on Monterey Bay. And Santa Cruz is one of the only beaches, it might be the only one, that goes from east to west because it's like the top northern lip of this bay. So we lived on East Cliff Boulevard. So we lived right on the beach um, on the eastern side, and we would often have dinner and then go for a walk and then sometimes go down to the beach and just enjoy the water, whatever. So this was a night in October. This was 2000, either 12 or 13. I can't remember specifically. But we're sitting on the beach, and I see this light in the sky. And it's not a star. We can see plenty of stars out there. Um, I can see that I've seen the Milky Way out there before. It was incredible. But um, it's these three lights, and I notice that they're kind of spreading apart and going their separate ways and coming back together. So I sat and watched this thing for about two and a half hours. Um, My boyfriend at the time, he went to bed. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. I think he also knows too much, and he didn't really want to talk to me about this stuff. He moved to the Bay Area from Arizona uh, in the 80s, like kind of when the late 80s, early 90s, when tech tech boom was like really happening and he used to work for Lockheed Martin. Um, he's, he's an engineer. So there's certain things that he just doesn't want to talk about. <laughs> so um, it was the triangular craft that a lot of people have seen. 
And I actually heard someone tell a really similar story from really, I think he was north of where I was at, but he was on the California coast. I know it was in October. It was 12 or 13. I don't remember what podcast, but I heard someone tell almost the same story recently. And um, it each part was its own triangle. This is what it seemed like to me. And it would kind of fly apart and they would each kind of do their own thing and then come back together to form one large triangle. Um, have you heard about that craft before? You know, when you're describing it, it, it sounds really familiar. Like I've heard this within the last few weeks. Um, yeah. Something similar, similar, not, not quite the same, but um, about the one solid craft that was put into three and then come back. Um, yeah. But, I've watched a lot of stuff and I listen to a lot of stuff, so it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to tell. Right, right. So I know a lot of people have seen like the triangular craft with three lights on it. Um, so I don't know. I think it definitely could be UFO. This was the this was during the time of Fukushima, when Fukushima was like leaking out of control and there was a bunch of nuclear waste being dumped in the Pacific Ocean. We had there's usually one sardine die-off. They mate and die off once a year, and it, they come up on the beach, and it's stinky. Well, this happened three times in one year. I started finding um, oyster and clam shells. I found hundreds of these. They were all fused together at the exact same place, an oyster and a clam fused together. Really? Uh, yes. I saw that's when they were finding all these gigantic squids. These, like, giant animals were coming up on the beach. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think a lot of times UFO, if it's not military or Lockheed or something going on at um, what's that Moffat Air Base, yeah. um, and you know uh, the Tesla plant is up there. So I know there's no SpaceX stuff up there or anything, but um, I don't. You never know. I think they're either trying to figure out what the hell we're up to. Or, or we're out flying around trying to figure out what they're up to and how they're doing it. So. Yes, or they know what we're up to and they're trying to warn us about it. Or intercept, yeah. Yeah, because the, uh, there's so many stories around nuclear plants and nuclear bases. Mm-hmm. And it just don't, it doesn't seem coincidental to me, you know. Well, and there's no, I mean, I'm, I, there's no nuclear place that I know of in that area, but, and Fukushima, Fukushima is obviously in Japan, but right. because of the rotation of the oceans, I mean, it's all going to be affected. Exactly. So it could be it could be not that. It could be something else. But I know that that was really freaking me out at the time um, and having all these strange and, – and we were in five years of drought. So the ocean temperatures are changing. All kinds of stuff is going on. So um, – but the UFO, that was uh, – the only I, I saw one once again, but I can't even remember. I may have been at Yosemite. I can't even remember exactly where I was, but um, it was the same craft. And I think I was driving, so I didn't see it for as long. But um, that one, yeah, I watched it for two and a half nights or two and a half hours that night. It's pretty wow. wild. That is wild. <laughs> that is wild. And it's interesting that your boyfriend at the time, uh, you said worked for Lockheed Martin. And he he did before, yeah. Yeah, and this craft wasn't interesting enough for him to stand out there and stare at it for two and a half hours. Maybe he did with something. 
Oh, I'm sure. He, uh, I'm not saying this in a disparaging way or anything, but he's almost like spectrum Asperger's. So he's very, very intelligent, but doesn't have a lot of communication or social skills or he's, he can be very guarded about that kind of stuff. So it, he, he wouldn't, I mean, what I do know is when he was working at Lockheed, there were times he would have to go in and change an electric box or something. They would take every single thing out of that room, everything. And he would go in there by himself only with the tools he needed. And someone would follow him at the particle counter. And, you know, you could not contaminate anything. You could not see anything. Um, so, yeah, there's there's so much creepy stuff going on everywhere. It's not even funny. Oh, yeah. yeah you're right. Um, let's see. Okay, so now my uh, San Francisco experience. So I moved to San Francisco uh, in 2014. Um I lived in a really, really cool, I lived in the Mission District. Um, I lived in a house that was built in 1904. And so there was a an earthquake and a subsequent fire in 1906 that leveled about 85% of San Francisco. So uh, I lived in probably one of the oldest houses there, except for the Mission, which has been rebuilt several times. So I lived in a beautiful San Francisco Victorian. Um, I lived on the third floor in a flat, so it was like three apartments, the whole length of the of the house. Um, and there were two large win- two large rooms in the front of the house that faced the street with big bay windows. Um, two other hall, um, bedrooms in the hall, a toilet room, a shower room, and then kitchen and living room in the back end. So um, the first night first or second night that I moved in um, there was a guy that I knew who um, was traveling he was going traveling for about six months so I was just subletting his place so all of his stuff was still there so I essentially threw my mattress on top of his bed and I just kind of coexisted my stuff with all of his stuff because that's what you got to do in San Francisco if the price is right so um, I am sitting up on the bed all my roommates two of my roommates were musicians um, the other had a girlfriend out, uh, in in another town at the time. So often I would go to bed alone and I I get up earlier than everybody else. So I had a lot of alone time at the house. So this is like second night. I'm home alone. I am sitting up on my bed and I'm deciding that I want to get ready to go to sleep. So um, I look under the door. There's a gap under the door. And I see that the hallway light's still on. And I think in my head, oh, I better turn that light off before I go to bed. I'm like swinging my legs over to go out and turn this light off. And I hear and see the shadow of two little feet running in front of my door and down the hallway. So, and I kind of hear like the little patter of like a child running. So I swing my legs back up on the bed and I said, okay, that light's staying on tonight. And I think I left the light in my room on and I just went to bed and I didn't think about it. Um, So I would get up in the morning and make my coffee and make breakfast and we had a beautiful view of downtown from my balcony. And um, I would often feel the presence of a little boy. And I knew from that very first night that it was a little boy. I knew it was a mischievous little boy. Um, 
I didn't feel anything malicious at all, ever. Um, I did tell him to stop scaring me at night and stop trying to play with me at night because it freaked me out, and he did. Um, I would, I never saw him as an apparition ever, but I would be in the kitchen, and I would almost feel him, like, groggy, like, waking up and coming in the kitchen, and I would, if I ever felt him there, I would acknowledge him or say good morning or try to tell him a joke or something. I don't know. I kind of felt bad that he was, like, this bored kid. Um, I would do little exercises in the living room sometimes in the morning and he would like tug on my shirt or my hair or like move a plant or something. So I told all my roommates about this. I actually named him. I called him Jeff Jr. Because I knew his bedroom was my roommate Jeff's room. Um, and Jeff was a tech guy. He works for Facebook. He's not really, um, he's not very much concerned about things that he can't see. Um, it, the house I lived in was actually a church house. So a lot of my roommates were pretty religious and they just never really noticed anything. They never um, acknowledged anything. They thought that I was kind of nuts. So Jeff ends up going out of town for a month and it's, it's very common if you're going to go out of town to just sublet your room. There's always people looking for a place to stay in San Francisco. Um, you can usually charge a little bit more and just have people come and stay in your room while you're gone. So Jeff had found this couple, um, and they were extremely spiritual. Uh, he was a native Mexican, an Aztec. Oh, no, I hope that's right. I think he was an Aztec. And um, she was German, but they had met at some kind of like a shaman camp or something. They were very, very spiritual people. So they came the first night, and we just chatted a little bit. We all went to bed. The next morning, we were all going to have breakfast together, and we're all in the kitchen. We're waiting for them to get up. They come in, and his name was Josue. He said, uh, are we going to talk about the little boy? And my roommate's mouth went totally slack-jawed, and I had never been more validated in my life. I was like, see, I told you guys. I was like, Jeff Jr. is real, and <laughs> and um he said, yeah, he was coming in and tickling my toes at night. And I said, oh, he loves to do that. If you tell him just, if you tell him not to, he'll stop doing it. But um, now my roommates believe me. And I know Jeff Jr. is there. I always ask them to tell him hello for me when I talk to him. But um, that was like the most validating experience that I've ever had. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Because they <laughs> had they had no uh, exposure to it beforehand, right? Never, yeah. There you go. Here you go. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think he found the the person that would react, the person that would notice him. Um, who knows? Maybe he had tried to interact with the other people, but um, that was that was just really really cool. Um, so I had one more pretty wild experience, past life experience. It was kind of personal. Um, so my Mount Shasta experience is kind of personal too, but it was really really another kind of profound thing that happened to me. Um, when I first moved to California, the first couple months, I was like, it was rough times. I mean, I was uh, couch surfing and staying with friends. And um, my my really good friend out there, I only knew one person when I moved out there, um, but I was close with her family and stuff. So it was just uh, a challenging time. Um, I had a boyfriend at the time when I moved 
to California. We ended up breaking up. Um, and I had to get all four of my wisdom teeth out. So I was just kind of like bummed out, stuck at home, couldn't go to work. Um, and I had this, not an epiphany, but I just had this like thought come into my mind. And the thought was Mount Shasta. And I don't know why, but I threw it into Google and I started looking around and, um, Mount Shasta's in California. Have you ever heard any Mount Shasta stories? You know, I don't believe I have. Um, I, I've heard some like paranormal stuff. I heard on, I think on the confessionals, I want to say, and it may have been an old episode. There was someone who saw a Bigfoot get abducted from Mount Shasta on a spacecraft. What? Like, like beamed up. Okay, you got to tell me what if you can find it. I gotta if, find it. Okay, on the I, episode because I've listened to every episode of the Confessionals and for some reason another show. Yeah, but that's the one Mount Shasta story that I've heard that has stuck out to me. Well, I'm so, <laughs> yeah. So um, Mount Shasta is about five hours north of San Francisco. It's the lowest point in the Cascades, so it's only about an hour from the Oregon border, and um. So it's a volcanic mountain. Uh, it's an incredible place. It's so serene. I mean, I don't think you can have an argument in this town. There's beautiful, like the most amazing fresh spring water you've ever had. It just flows out of the mountain. You can drink it right out of the rock. Um, it's just an incredible place. There's a couple tiny little towns there. Um, but I had, I, there, there, there's so many elements to this, but I looked at Mount Shasta first. And one of the first things that you see is something called telos, T-E-L-O-S, which is there. there's a large amount of people who believe that there are a race of interterrestrial beings, beings that live inside of the mountain. Um, they're called great whites um, or they're called Lemurians. People think that these people um, – survived the great flood and they they're from lemuria so i i if if you're interested in it at all i would um implore you to look into it but there's a book series that was written i think it, it was first published in the 1930s um there was a man who worked for the u.s government i think he was doing cartography work um so he's doing land survey and stuff like that and mapping so he sent out to mount shasta and he was a very spiritual person, and he went with the intention of having a spiritual experience. And he had heard about vortexes and things like that, which there are multiple vortexes on the mountain. So um, there's like seven books that he wrote. Uh, I think the first one is called Unveiled Mysteries. So I got this book, and I read it. And, the, and this man says that he meets this ascended master, St. Germain, on the side of the mountain. This man appears to him. And he says that they time travel together. Um, they go to a mine in Peru, a very ancient mine, where he, um, St. Germain told him that he was the engineer and he had created all of this mining system and that they had worked together in past lives. Um, he took him inside of Mount Shasta into the city of Telos, which they say is like a five-story self-contained city. Um, they have their own natural sources of light. Um, they grow all of their own crops. It, it's it's pretty wild. I mean, I take every single thing with a grain of salt, but um, 
it was interesting that this thing just popped in my head and it, it expanded into such a this big mystical thing. And there was a mystical magic feeling just to Northern California in itself. I mean, the redwood trees and just the vastly different terrain. You can be in the desert, you can be up in the snow in the mountains, you can be by a river, you could be in a vineyard. Um, I just kind of had this like magical feeling about life in general there. But um, so I had moved back to Ohio and in 2018 I had two girlfriends and they're like, I really want to go to California. Like, let's go and take us on a road trip. So we planned this trip. We flew into San Francisco, we went to Napa. We went um, up to Mount Shasta and ended up coming back down. So um, we go to Mount Shasta. I'm just going to kind of skip ahead to the interesting part. So um, I, we had tried a couple times to go up the mountain. Google had sent us down this crazy road that wasn't even a road. Um, they ended up meeting this guy walking on the railroad tracks. There's a secret waterfall that you can get to there. You have to hike down these railroad tracks. So they met this guy there, and he says, oh, well, there's a, there's a paved highway that goes all the way up to 9,000 feet. So the next morning, we were getting ready to head out of town. We hadn't even gone up the mountain, and we decided, let's just, let's just hit, try it one last time. So at breakfast, I randomly start Googling. I'm like, well, what, where's this vortex at? I find a super old blog that someone had written that said, go to this campground, park, turn left, and walk up the hill. So I was like, why not? <laughs> so we do it. We get on the road. We go up the mountain. Um, we find this place. We're walking up. And this is supposedly where this vortex is. It's called Ascension Rock. So um, I'm walking up, and it's – I know other people have experienced this, but sometimes you can be going up like a steep grade, and it will feel really easy. Um, sometimes I feel like you'd be going up a gentle grade, and it will feel really taxing for some reason. And I just had this really light feeling like I was where I was supposed to be, and I was going the way I was supposed to go. Um, so we get up here, I'm looking around and I didn't hear a twig snap. I didn't hear a leaf rustle, nothing. I turn and these two guys are just standing there and there's this little adorable little old man and he really looks like a forest creature. And I say this in the most affectionate way. He had like a cowboy hat on and he had all these feathers and like crystals on it. And he had like a little pot belly and his long beard, gray beard. And the guy with him was a younger guy. He looked pretty, he was totally normal, except he had a holster with a crystal in it. But he just had on like a ball hat, a t-shirt and jeans. And um, they're like, hey. I'm like, hi. Um, they go, wow. Uh, um, I don't even want to say the name because I don't know if anybody in the area. He's, he's, I'm sure a figure around town, but this guy turns to the other guy. And he's like, wow, look, she's not even, she's not even got her feet on the ground. They're like, you're vibrating so high. Wow. They're like, are you ready to go in the mountain? And I'm just like freaking out. I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I came here for, but wow, it's actually happening. What's going on? This is crazy. Um, (laughs) so, uh, I, this guy, he, the older fellow, he's standing about 10 feet from me and he, again, starts telling me everything that I'm going through, starts telling me all the stuff that's happened. I was in a super, super rough place at the time. I was 
um, in a really kind of abusive work environment, a toxic work environment. Um, I was having trouble with my family again, just a number of things that were going on. And um, he's, he's crying. He's bawling, crying. I'm bawling, crying. My friends had kind of wandered off, and they walk over, and they're like, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> I'm standing here crying with this old man. And, and um, it was pretty wild. So um, they're like, he says to me, like, we're, we're your real-life spirit guides. And I'm like, well, I, I believe you. <laughs> I don't know where you came from. don't know why you're here, but I believe you. So he says to my friends, um, we're going to take your friend over here, and we'll be right back, which they tell me later in the car. They're like, all we heard was, we're going to go kill your friend and come back and kill you. And I'm like, oh, my God. So they're kind of trying to block me a little bit they're like wait what's going on I'm like you guys just f off okay I'm like let me have this moment so they take me around the mountain and they take me to this spot that was a perfect little like meditation station like made in the rock so it went back in like a half circle nice and deep and then it was like an oval in inlay kind of part on the top and there was about an inch and a half crack that went down into the mountain behind it so I just sat in there and um, I closed my eyes and I go into this, I'm feeling like so serene. It's very surreal, but I feel just like I'm in the right place at the right time and this is supposed to be happening. And I close my eyes and I have this vision of this woman that just comes and stands kind of in front of me over to my left a little bit. And immediately I'm crying again. I'm just like, all of this stuff is just kind of coming out of me. And she has this pitcher and she takes this pitcher and she's like pouring this like gold liquid into the top of my head. Now this isn't happening in real life. This is happening in my mind's eye. And um, I see this liquid. It's like super soothing and like cooling. And I see it like going through all of my veins and my whole vascular system. And it's almost like it's pulling out like the negative energy and the negative particles. And it's like going down out of my body into the rock, into the mountain. So I'm in this meditation for probably 20 minutes and I'm just like totally kind of like entranced. The girls are over trying to talk to the old guy about stuff that doesn't matter. And, um, I am, I just had this totally transformative kind of experience. And after this happened, um, I got up, I walked back over to the guys and he says, the older guy says to me, he like grabbed my hand and he's like, there's going to be the time in your life before today and after today. And um, my life has definitely taken a, um, a very, a positive turn. I mean, it's never not challenging. I think you, it has to, you have to have a challenge to grow, but um, it was uh, a totally surreal experience. And actually, I got home. So the next day, we stayed one more night, I think, in California. Uh, I got home. The next night, I got out of where I was working at. That was like the biggest stress in my life. I signed a lease for my own place. I worked for myself in California, but now I've been working for myself for two years. Um, I had no money. I just went on a big trip. 
So I got my first paycheck and I spent it all on just the supplies I needed to start my business. And I just kind of built it as I went Um, because I was really afraid and I didn't know when to jump. And it kind of made me just jump and just take a risk and know that I was going to be supported. So I'm sure I could go back to that town and find that guy right now. And uh, it was weird, actually, the other guy, the younger guy, we connected on Facebook and I saw, I ended up seeing him just like a couple months after that. He came to Cleveland and was doing um, a kind of a ceremony there, but um, really? Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. Uh, So he travels around. I don't know exactly what it is that he does, um, but he knew some people in Cleveland and they had a ceremony. It was called a, a torch keeper ceremony and it was a, kind of a drum circle kind of thing. And I don't do a ton of this kind of woo-woo stuff, but I, I am open to it. But the ceremony was healing your generational trauma, seven generations behind you and in front of you. So uh, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that is cool. Cause, so there, cause there's a lot of things that we take on from our, from our past relatives. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of most of the of the experiences that I've had. Um, it I don't know like, if you have any. It's it's what I how I refer to my own life. It's like a life of high strangeness, you know. Yeah. Just little stuff, um, a couple of you know, oh wow moments, and then you know you had you had a much larger experience than I probably ever have with that, uh, you know, with the spirit guides and stuff. But yeah, all throughout your life you're having you're having these things, these little reminders that life is not as boring and simple as most people like to pretend it is. That there is something more going on. There we're surrounded by different energies, and uh, you can look at it like angels and demons. You can look at it like aliens and ghosts. It's just however we want to view it. I don't think there's a wrong way to view it. And no, I, I just think it's well, I, I, it's really cool. I've, uh, I think there are, I think that the human mind is very malleable and I think there are a lot of things that we are, it's like you only know what you know. Right. And when you live in a society that kind of cuts you off from what I think, I've been having this thought recently about, you know, we all know now that there are like satanic elites that that rule our world. Um, We know that they're doing weird ceremonies and weird kind of stuff, and they have a certain technology of their own. Um, And I think that industrialization is kind of their, their kind of technology. I think that human technology is more like telepathy and being psychic and, um, you know, however magnets and things of the earth that I don't, I think that, we try to fight human nature. It's it's almost like our society is counter to how humans should should behave. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of abilities that most of us have that we're discouraged from and just told, well, that's not real. So you just kind of shut it off. Right. right. I, I agree completely. And I think it's purposefully done. Oh, uh, yeah. I think that we are dumped down spiritually intentionally oh yeah uh, i believe we have like like you're saying i think we have great 
spiritual and like tele telepathic abilities that we just don't even know how to tap into. Right. And I think that I, I think that we can learn that kind of stuff. And even me, like, even though I've had these kind of things, I don't even like giving myself any authority in that way. Right. And I've had, I wouldn't say I'm psychic by any means, but I have premonitions about people sometimes, um, especially with the kind of relationships that I have with the work that I do. I have close relationships with people, and there are some people that tell everything to their hairstylist, the things they don't tell anybody else. Oh, yeah. So um, I've gotten to a point now, if I know when someone's going to text me for an appointment, I'll think about a certain person, and within a day or two, they'll they'll either show up, they booked an appointment with me online, or they'll they'll message me. So there's going to be a point where hopefully we don't even need text messages because that's <laughs> just it's just like doing telepathy like the turtle way, basically. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's a way to keep us dependent. So I've always been, I I haven't fully bought into society. I never really have. I kind of like even since I was a kid, my mom is a very go with the flow kind of person. You know, things are the way they are because that's how they're supposed to be. And yeah, um, she enjoys, you know, capitalism and materialism. Not that I don't, but like they would watch popular movies. I don't watch, I don't go to the movies or anything. I haven't been desensitized to human suffering and destruction and things like that. Right. So uh, it's kind of shocking sometimes to live, live on this planet. It can be stressful. Yes. I agree. Especially in the times we're living in right now. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that I can I can't hardly even get it off my mind. You know, I've I've been into what they call conspiracy theories, you know, ever since I was a kid. But mm-hmm. the things that are going on now that you just touched on a minute ago, um, with the satanic elite and mm-hmm. the, the shadow global rulers and these trafficking rings and everything it it weighs on my heart so heavy you know that i i literally lose sleep over it i i can't see somebody suffering and especially not you know the defenseless right and and it's you know people they've they've set it up in a way that they are there's very few people supplying all the information there's very few people you know when you hear people say americans have no culture right. i do think it's true because i think our culture is subjective to whatever their agenda is our uh, culture is kind of fed through us through our quote unquote entertainment yes yeah completely. and and our communities and our culture is set up in a way that it's very separatist it's very individualist, which can be good, but, you know, we don't have the close family relationship so much that we used to have. Right. Um, we, we don't always have community. You know, like, I live in the city, but, I and I hate to say it, I hate to give in to the paranoia and be afraid of other people. I'm not afraid of other people. There's a lot of things I'm afraid of, but it's not people. But I hate to be on edge. And I hate that we're all pitted against each other yep. because you just want to, like, shake people and be like, stop taking the bait. Exactly. People yep. are getting really riled up, and it's people don't realize because 
they've built the pyramid the way they have. There are very few people on top. We have strength in numbers, but people yep. are so they're they're so attached to the false sense of hierarchy and they're very attached to a false sense of superiority because it's also a basis of our of our culture. It's about being better than the next guy in any way. Yeah. So even if you don't have a lot of education, well, you're still better than this guy for this reason. Yeah, that's it. They fit into we're all in a minority group of some sort or some right. kind of subculture. If it's a class system, if it's you know socioeconomic warfare, if it's right. if it's race, if it's gender, if it's whatever that something separates you from the majority, and that's where they exploit you. And right, uh, and they'll pander to that. Yes. Oh, and yeah. And like even when I. Uh, when I was in high school, I, my high school is about 35% black. So it was almost half and half when you think of all the kids that uh, are skipping school. And this is very <laughs> inner city area. Right. And we were having race wars in 2005 yeah. to the point that our history teacher had to, he literally pumped Mar- Marvin Gaye music into the hallways every day. <laughs> and it's like, we're all dumb. We're all poor as shit. We all live in the same neighborhoods. What is going on? Yeah. It's like literally what Marvin said. What Marvin Gaye said. Yeah. What's going on? It doesn't yeah. make any sense at all. Right. And it's there's there is some kind of outside force because you only know what you know. Kids aren't born hating each other. Exactly. Kids aren't born. You know, there are some kids that are more competitive or something like that. But um, people just buy into this stuff, and even the stuff with with the police. I think that what's going on now is we're ignoring the big picture. It's all finger pointing all of us at each other. We need to be pointing up because the big problem is our 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 prison systems are privately owned. Right. So there are people who give a shit who want to protect and serve, but they have a quota. They have to find crimes. Right. So you're going to have a high a higher crime rate. And again, it's fit, it's pitting working class people against each other. Yes. Because the cops, unfortunately, they don't have a choice but to kind of be goombas for this prison system. And, and, then it, you and it, it all the, that creates a whole other mental and socioeconomic issue there. Yes, it does. And the, these laws that are being enforced, you know, I I even tell my kid, uh, I probably shouldn't say it at this age because she's really impressionable, but, you know, just because it's illegal doesn't mean that it's wrong. You know, it's Right. These laws are on the books for, you know, basically for money reasons, you know, so they can fine you for something else. Yeah. Uh, It's a revenue system. Yeah. If you can't go fishing without a license. Oh, yeah. Why is that? You know, I understand you got to pay for conservancy and, you know, you're helping support the wildlife. Why not make that a voluntary charitable donation? and allow someone to go fishing to feed themselves. You know, it, well, it, because it, they have to monetize every single human function. Everything is monetized, yes. Yeah. So um, it's it's scary. And they you cannot have a regard for other people, and they don't. because, And that's kind of the culture that has trickled down, I think, even from the elites. Well, we know that they're socio, they're psychopaths. They have no regard for human life. Right. And 
they normalize some of that behavior and it trickles down a lot. And, you know, some people can watch violent movies all day, every day and never want to go hit somebody. Um, If I watch a violent movie all day, every day, I know how I am. And it, and I, it normalizes that kind of behavior. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I have a client because I've grown up in a mixed community I think I have maybe a different perspective because you can you can literally never be around black people ever in this country and not think that racism is real because you don't right. ever see it. So I have a client and she's like, well, I don't understand. She was upset about the Academy Awards. They were just black, 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 so many black people. And I said, oh, I said, do you think the black people run the movie houses? Do you think they're running the casting? They're running the Academy? no. This is all curated, and it's pissed you off, so it's working. Yep. You know, like you you have to see what is bait and notice it and not react to it. Right, and that's so hard because it is hard. They'll come out with something new on you know something new will hit the news, and you're like, oh man, what's going on? And there will like, never not be something new. Yeah, if and, and I think hours, you'll be distracted and you you'll miss what Bill just got passed behind your back. You know? Yeah. And they know how to – we know now, too, that most of our advertising is based on um, Nazi scientists and what they found out about psychology during the Holocaust. We employed all them. They created MKUltra, and those are are how they sell things. Um, I don't know if you're following what's going on with Britney Spears right now. Do you listen to Sam Tripoli? No, I don't. In Foil Hat Podcast? No, uh uh-uh. Uh. I ask you that because he just did a hashtag free Britney episode that I'm about halfway through that I was listening to yesterday. So yeah, I'm I'm catching up with what's been going on with Britney Spears. Well, I I really hope it comes to light because I really think that she's a victim of MK Ultra. I do too. And um, I have a theory. You know, they're usually like 27 when this when they start unraveling. Yep. And I 20, think it's because what'd you say, sorry? Like the twenty seven club. Um right. all the, yeah. Because your brain humanity nature is always stronger than any other force. So the human being and the brain evolves and the theory that I have about it is when you're a child up into your your late twenties your ego is kind of running the show. You, Your ego is the part of yourself that is your identity, how you fit in the world, how the world treats you, how you treat other people, and you're very, very impressionable. So that's when you only know what you know. So they can normalize anything and snap your fingers, and now you're a dancing temptress 15-year-old girl. Yeah. So when the, when the brain evolves, the ego kind of steps back and your spirit kind of comes in more. You know, that's why I'm 33 now. So my 30s have been so much easier because you don't have so much of that pressure of fitting in and yeah. what other people think about you. So your your spirit and your soul self, this is just my personal theory, is yeah. kind of coming into play more and they're so confused because the identity that you have does not match up with your spirit at all. Right. 
because the the function of the MK Ultra is to compartmentalize your personality, essentially give you multiple personality disorder, and insert whatever personalities they want. Yes. So that's why you know, like Nicki Minaj, and it's these people that pop up out of nowhere. And there's old videos of Nicki Minaj rapping and stuff, and she's talented, but it's like she came up out of nowhere. They gave her all this plastic surgery, and she's got this character Roman, who's like English. Yep. This English guy. It's it's very weird, um, but I think Amanda Bynes Amanda Bynes kind of came out of left field because she was totally goody two shoes all the time, and she wasn't out being party girl or whatever, and she totally unraveled. Did you follow her? I did not. But okay, I... so she was she was like Nickelodeon star when I was growing up. Okay. And um, she was totally she was on uh, it was called the Amanda Show, and it was just. Not as far as creepiness goes in Nickelodeon shows and Disney and stuff like that. There wasn't a lot of that in it or anything. But she just popped up on Twitter. She's saying a ton of crazy shit. I mean, her hair's all messed up. She's got the smeared eyeliner. She's got, like, tattoos on her face now. She's, like, in and out of rehab. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, And so I'm just so glad. You know, it's going to be painful, and a lot of people don't want to hear it, but the stuff they can't hide anymore. The shadow is gone. The veil is kind of lifted yeah. and they're going to fight tooth and nail, but we, we just have to, each other is really all we have. That's right. So I, I hope that people aren't going to, because I'm telling you, I don't think there's going to be another time that we don't have a polarizing event going on. And we're going to be poked and prodded and pitted against each other, and we've got to, like, resist it as much as possible. I agree 100%. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. That You know, there's no, there's never been a time where we've gotten closer to the truth than we are right now. And they're yeah. grabbing at straws. They're freaking yeah. out. Yes. And this is the time to keep, keep their feet to the fire and yeah. pull them all out. I agree. Yeah. Um, Okay, if you're I don't know if this is going on too long But I have one more little story Yeah, let's hear it Okay, so did you listen to the Randonaut uh, Episode of the Confessionals? Yes, I did And I almost downloaded the app And I punked out (laughs) Okay, so I got really, really into it (laughs) For like a couple weeks And then something weird happened So Um the first weird thing oh I feel a sneeze coming on. Um the first weird thing that happened, so I, you know, I've been I I feel so bad for my clients because they're just like stuck in this little room with me and I just talk to them about conspiracies and all this stuff. <laughs> I feel bad for them. But a lot of people aren't exposed to any of this stuff at all. So any little yeah. information, little seeds they can plant. So anyway, yeah. I have a, a friend of mine and I, I had cut her hair and I was talking to her about um Moloch, the demon that they that they worship, and I was showing her the owl symbolism and all this stuff, and I had showed her the picture of Capitol Hill with the streets around it that make an owl. Have you yeah. seen that? Yeah. Yeah. So we went to lunch. I was showing her that, and we had some time. I said, let's do a rando knot spot before we go back. So um, I set my intention to owl. That was the intention that I had in my head. And... um we pick a random spot. I was like, don't look at the street view, nothing. Let's just drive there. So I just follow the directions. You know, it says, you have arrived. I pull over. 
says my destination's on the right. I look to the right, and the house number's right on the front door, and it's 666. See? Yes. No, no, hard yes. pass. That's... But, you know, I didn't <laughs> – I take it with a grain of salt, and I and to me, I it's an affirmation. I'm like, okay, well, I'm on the right path. Yes, this is – you know, it's just kind of like – I didn't feel like, oh, they're watching me. Of course they're watching me. They're watching everybody. Right. But um, it was it was freaky and one of those unexplainable coincidences. I, I just, the reason why I didn't download the Randonauts app is I was looking at it, I was reading the reviews, and it was talking about intent. And I thought, like the the thought just popped in my head: this is a modern day Ouija board. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's, it's a new spin to have something that you are not in control with communicate with you and will I follow where they say to go? I don't know if I can make myself do that. And I just well, I punked out. Well I I looked up a bunch of different spots just sitting at home one night, um and I still do that every once in a while, but um I had an experience about a week after that. I was telling my other friend Brendan about it and he and I had gone on a walk and I said, Let's go let's do a rando nut spot right before we go. So my intention was something hidden. Um, the one day, the one day I had my intention something hidden in plain sight, and it took me to a cemetery to this very very specific headstone, and this headstone had two little metal hinged flaps on it with pictures of the deceased inside, and it had a Freemason symbol and an Eastern Star symbol on it. Mm. Creepy. Yeah. Which Eastern Star symbol is a pentagram? Yes. So, okay, so me and Brendan, we put in our intention as something hidden or a mystery, and it takes us, the spot is on Hidden Valley Drive. And so we drive down. This is a private drive. I did trespass. I shouldn't have done it, but I was feeling ballsy. So it's um, an an empty lot where a house used to be. So there's the remnants of the driveway. There's uh, kind of a asphalt pad, I don't know, other parking, whatever. And the spot that it had us go was all the way down the driveway. There was a small tree line, and then there was a clearing that was surrounded by thick woods around it. So we get out of the car, and I'm feeling, like, exhilarated. There's, like, one other house that's really close by, and this is private. They don't want people back here, so that's part of it already. But we're walking back, and I'm just getting more and more anxious as we go. And I turn. I hear a the leaves rustle and there's like real tall grass and stuff. And I turn and I see a dog, a white dog, really fluffy with a big fluffy tail with an orange safety vest on. Okay. <laughs> I see this dog. I see its tail bop just a couple times and I can just see the top of its back and then I don't see it anymore. So Brendan was in front of me. He saw something before I did. He turned around, he's super freaked, and he starts running back to the car. I look in that direction, I see the dog for like a split second, and I'm not going to run from anything because I don't like to be, I don't like to show my fear. So I turn around slowly, and I'm looking still over here because I'm thinking this dog's going to come after us. You know, there's no reaction. In fact, I didn't see the grass rustle anymore after that. I didn't see a trail of where he was headed, didn't come near us at all. So I get back to the car, and Brendan goes, who was that guy? 
I said, guy? There was no guy. There was a dog. I saw a dog. And he goes, no, it was a guy with a hat on and a plaid shirt and an orange safety vest. And I said, well, I saw a white dog with an orange safety vest. He's like, I never saw a dog. So I I did a bunch of research on this land because I was so freaked out. There's a guy that owns it. Um, he's a wealthy older man. Um, the the land is being used for oil rights right now. So there's a gas line that goes through there, natural gas. Not oil, I'm sorry. And um I don't know. There it's not really hunting season right now of any sort, I don't think. Or is it? Right now, um midsummer, not really much of anything is would be in Especially space. at dusk. Yeah. I mean you could probably hunt coyotes. Well, this isn't an area where there would be coyotes. This is, it's actually a kind of a upscale area, and there's a lot of housing developments. Um, and this was just one old kind of private drive. Yeah. It was, it was super, super, super strange. I was so freaked out. That is strange. So I don't know if we saw, what I saw, it looked like, the dog had been up on its back legs and it was just going down on all fours. And I kind of saw its tail pop up and then I kind of saw it bounce a couple times. So I don't know if there was like a man that morphed into a dog. I have no freaking idea. Yeah. Like um, a shapeshifter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why a shapeshifter would be wearing an orange safety vest. I don't know. Maybe it was a man and he was working on the, um, on the natural gas lines. I have no idea. Right. But I have not been randonauting since then. Well, I don't blame you. Now, I, no, I'm, I'm super interested in it. You know, I, I I will probably wind up doing it before it's over with. But it's just, I don't know, I'm leery about it for some reason, and I just kind of follow my gut. Well, I think that if you have a positive intention, I think that you could find some cool things. Um, but it's too, when you know stuff that we know, it's too tempting. To go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've seen okay. people like do it with their kids and stuff, and that's kind of cool. Because your kid has more of a pure, pure intentions, I guess. They're like, I want to see a bunny or something. Yes. So yeah, I'll, take, I'll take my five-year-old niece. You know, uh, here we go. It's just we'll wind up at an ice cream shop or something. You know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh wow. Well, that's definitely so, a, a a wild experience, though. For you to see a dog and him to see a man, it, it makes sense. I mean, well, I, I, everything weird makes sense to me, but whatever. Yeah. So I think that's most of my stories that I have. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and saying uh, everything that you've had to say. Uh, I hopefully didn't get off on too much of a tangent, you know, right when we started talking about uh, – the elites and stuff like that. Well, but it, I can't, I can't not do it right now. Yeah, it needs to be said, and I'm glad yeah. you did. I'm glad you did. Well, thank you. Well, Megan, if anything else comes up, uh, anything else you want to talk about, you call me anytime, and uh, okay, we'll get you back on here to to discuss more stuff. But I, I feel like you have a lot more things come, you know. Oh, I'm sure. I hope. Hopefully, they're all still pretty positive the way they yes. have been, but. Hey, you're um, you're you're trending up. I like it. Just keep going. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Hey, thank you. All right. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts from and leave me a five-star rating and review. You can follow me on Facebook at The Bump Podcast. I'm on Instagram under the same name and Twitter. Um, If you have a story that you'd like to share, please feel free to message me on any of those platforms and I'll be sure to get back to you. Or you can email me at thebumppodcast at gmail.com. That's thebumppodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, be sure to check out the merchandise that I have now. It's on my Facebook page. I have links to everything. It's on Teespring. You can find it as The Bump Podcast or The Bump Podcast Bigfoot on Teespring. I have lots of merch. I got a whole lot more coming out. Um, All of the artwork, I'm doing it myself. I'm designing everything myself. So it's it's a lot of work on my end, but I'm just hoping that I put something out there that you guys can enjoy. So thanks again for listening, and don't stop believing.